We'll be in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. I know that's a lot. They're kind of short. He kind of says things in large groupings, so I don't necessarily have to go one verse at a time uh, to touch on everything. Um, Plus, Pastor Chuck could do like two or three in one sermon, so I'm just going to like chuck it up and kind of try and get a try and get a lot a lot to you guys um we'll be in ecclesiastes one and two i found this cool picture today and thought that i would have them put that up there um life under the sun ecclesiastes um solomon wrote it and at this point in his life he's just really really kind of at the end of his wits um realizing all, all of the things that he did kind of wasting his life and just being apart from God. And uh, that's what we're going to be focusing on tonight. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we will jump in and read a little section, and then I'll, we'll, we'll just get right into it. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for who you are and what you do in our lives, and uh, we just come to you tonight and ask that you speak through me, Lord, that you provide the, the message that you would have the congregation here receive, and um, just ask all this in your name, amen. <clears throat> when he asked me to teach, I wasn't sure where I was going to go, and there was a really cool night on Sunday prayer where it's like, I prayed about it, and then I started flipping around, and something would kind of send me to another area of scripture, and then send me to another area of scripture, and then at the end of the night, I shared a portion of Ecclesiastes, and two other people were there and felt led to share that area of scripture, so that kind of solidified it. I was like, the Lord obviously is pointing towards Ecclesiastes. On the way to Ecclesiastes, I almost landed in Song of Solomon, which is a beautiful book, by the way. A lot of people have really bad misconceptions about it, but I started reading through it, and it's really scripted, and there's a lot of people. There's, like, the the woman and Solomon and the brothers and the sisters, and there's a lot of parts, and it's almost like a play. And then I remembered at the Bible college when we had the class on all the books of Solomon when we had to read individual parts, and none of the girls volunteered to read, so I had to read the girl part. And for some reason... My, my girl voice just turned into like the, uh, what's the southern book, Gone with the Wind, and it's just, it, it, I got this like southern thing, I don't know, it was weird, and I just decided I'm not going to do that to you guys, so <laughs> Ecclesiastes is where we ended up, so I'm just going to pick up in verse one, um, and I don't actually think I'm going to read a section first, uh, verse one kind of leads for an introduction, so we'll just start there, verse one, the words of the preacher the son of David, king in Israel. Uh, The preacher is Solomon. He is referring to himself, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Solomon reigned from 970 to 931 BC. That was not uncontested. He had an older brother who really wanted the throne. There's a whole story about it. And, um, but David and the Lord wanted Solomon to be king. So Solomon was king. He wrote three books of the Bible. He wrote the Song of Solomon in his youth. It's a passionate love story. Uh, In his wiser middle age, he wrote Proverbs, which we all know Proverbs is a book based on wisdom, which is a big part of Solomon and his teachings and his life um, that tended to slip from him 
in his later years and um, kind of prompted the writing of Ecclesiastes. Uh, he got to a point where he had strayed from the Lord a lot and it brought him to a place of just, I will just say like depression and maybe even some slight insanity. And by the time he wrote this book, some people think that he might have still been a drunk when he wrote this book, that it might just be bitter ramblings. And I honestly find it to just be an epiphany that he had after so long of just kind of letting it all go and not not abiding the Lord. Um, we will hear the phrase life under the sun 30 times throughout the 12 chapters. Um, the whole book is about what we do here on earth and us finding purpose under the sun, under heaven, on earth, doing earthly things and doing them apart from the Lord and um, the troubles that that brings and uh, the purposelessness, is that a word, that that brings. Um, but he, he starts off strong when he comes into the Bible. He builds an altar after he becomes the king. He makes like a thousand burnt offerings to the Lord, and the Lord wants to bless him. It's in Second Chronicles. He asks him, he says, I'll give you one wish, anything you want. And he asks for wisdom and knowledge. So the Lord gives him all the wisdom and knowledge that any man could ever had, and just because he asked for wisdom and knowledge and not riches or women or material things, the Lord blessed him with material things. He blessed him with riches and wealth and honor, and it says, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. I looked it up in today's terms how rich Solomon actually was, and his net worth in today's money, accounting for inflation and all this stuff, he would have been worth $2.1 trillion. Just to put that into perspective, J.D. Rockefeller in today's money, and he wasn't that long ago, so there's not nearly as much inflation, was only worth $663.4 billion. So that Solomon was rich. No one's ever in history ever acquired that amount of riches, which A, goes to show that uh, God can bless people more than people can bless people. Um, I don't have a B. Um, <laughs> but Solomon had every luxury in the world available to him, and it, it really seemed to eventually pull him from the Lord. And that's the big, before I get into all this and all the vanities and all the things that we do that pull us from the Lord, I want to make known that a lot of these things in and of themselves are not bad things, but letting them consume your life and pull you from the Lord is where the fault happens, and that's what Solomon was doing. Um, he was letting his money, his wealth, his, his possessions, his wives and concubines all distract him from his greater purpose in the Lord. He had 700 wives of royal blood, um, to put that into perspective, you know, the Israelites weren't really supposed to marry into other nations because there were other religions and things like that, and God wanted the people of Israel to remain the people of Israel and to worship the God of Israel. So to have 700 wives of royal blood, that's a whole lot of going outside of what God told him to do. And he had 300 concubines, so he has 1,000 women, Lord... First of all, God tells us to have one wife. It's all through the Bible that 
these guys back then had multiple wives. 700 wives. I don't pity that. That's, I love my wife. 700 would just be, how do you get to know any of them? How do you bond? How do you grow and love? I don't know. It seems ridiculous to me, but the wives being from so many foreign lands ended up leading him astray. They had these different religions. They had these different beliefs, and to accommodate 700 wives, but honey, what about my religion? He starts building altars to all these other gods and religions. Um, they're making sacrifices. These wives, these other people are worshiping. It even eludes that Solomon started to worship these other gods and participate. Um, and it did ultimately lead to, I have to imagine, just a separation from Solomon and his Lord. And that ultimately, no matter what you're doing, that separation is going to lead you to a state of just utter despair. And eventually, God tells Solomon he's going to take the kingdom from his line. And it, Solomon's son only ends up with a reign over one tribe of Israel. Um, and the only reason he kept that one tribe was for David's sake, because God made a promise to David. Um, so he got himself into a very lowly state spiritually and emotionally. Um, and by the time he wrote Ecclesiastes, he was able to see that he lived a life full of vain pursuits, which leads us to verse 2. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. We are going to see that word 37 times in 12 chapters. That comes from the Hebrew word havel, which means vanity or emptiness. Just to really put some emphasis on that, that word, the definition for vain, is producing no result, useless, futile, pointless, to no purpose, hopeless, ineffective, to no avail, fruitless, unfulfilling, profitless, unrewarding, unproductive, unsuccessful, failed for nothing. So every time you hear that word, it pretty much means just nothing. It also can be translated as emptiness, which is containing nothing, void, vacancy, lacking meaning, and having no value or no purpose. All the things that he's going to go over in these 12 chapters, and we're only going to touch on two tonight, are leading to emptiness and unfulfilling pursuits, leaving him empty and lost and hopeless. And he's realizing much of his life was essentially wasted, and that is the major point of this book. The other major point we're going to get to by the end of the lesson, and then again by the end of the book, if I do more of this book at a later day. In verse 3, he says, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. As humans, we hold accomplishment very, very high in our lives, as who, who we are, our identities can be based on our accomplishments. The need to be remembered or to have status drives people to such lengths as to commit mass murders, serial killers. You read interviews or see TV interviews with serial killers, a lot of the time they just wanted people to know who they were, even suicides. The whole, you know, they'll remember me now, they'll pay attention to me now when I'm gone. This need 
is well embedded in the human spirit and it drives a man to toil and labor for a lot of things that are not of the Lord to please the world. Um, but it says, one generation passes away and another comes, but the earth abides forever. Let me tell you, from generation to generation, we don't really remember a lot from previous generations. There's a few things, there's some exceptions, but let me ask you, who invented the wheel? Does anyone know? No one remembers the guy who invented the wheel. The Nobel Prize winners this last year, does anyone know who most of the Nobel Prize winners were? That is a huge accomplishment. That is a thing that people work their entire lives to acquire. And most of them, we don't even know their names. You know who invented the first automobile? Some people might know this. Everyone's gonna say Henry Ford. It's Carl Benz. You're shaking your head, you knew it. Carl Benz, that information, not that long ago, not common knowledge anymore. That accomplishment is fading away. The Eiffel Tower, anyone know who did that? That's a huge thing. Everyone knows about the Eiffel Tower. Gustav Eiffel. I had no idea until I looked it up. You know all the, all the presidents of the United States? Does everyone know all their names? That's, a, that's the most powerful person. Do you? Okay, whatever. <laughs> that's the most powerful person probably in the free world at this point in history is the president of the United States. And most of them aren't remembered anymore. Former kings. We got Queen Elizabeth now. Does most people remember her father, King George, or his brother, who was king for a week? King Edward, or their father, King George V? People, I, I don't know these people. Do you know these people? These accomplishments are fading away as the people who existed during it are passing away and fading away. Things, these accomplishments, these things that we strive to accomplish do not last forever. The pharaohs in Egypt would be buried with their riches, <laughs> thinking they could take it with them. But the only thing that went with them when they died was their spirits. And I can tell you, if they spent their whole life worshiping other gods and gathering up these riches to put them in the hole in the ground with them, that their spirit's probably not in the place that they would prefer it right now. Um, so their gold's still here. They worked their whole life. They weren't focusing on God, on, on that, and now their gold's still here, and they're probably in a place they don't want to be. But no one remembers these accomplishments. One generation passes away and another comes, but the earth abides forever. No matter what we've accomplished or acquired, the world keeps turning when we're gone. But our souls last forever. Our souls go into eternity one way or another. And I think it's my personal duty to find out and do the best of my ability to make sure that my soul goes to be with the Lord and that that's what I'm working for, not for earthly status and possessions because the world will keep turning when we're gone. In verse 5, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I first want to point out the godly knowledge in that passage. Solomon had the knowledge of God given to him. He was the wisest man in the world. These cycles that the earth goes through were still a mystery and still pretty well unknown to the scientific community in that time. I mean, 
the sun setting and hastening to where it rises again, the wind, the circles, the wind currents. People didn't know that stuff back then. He knew because he had the knowledge of the Lord. And this really just goes a long way to kind of, for me, solidify the Lord having created the earth and all these cycles and everything like that. That's just on a side note. Um, But these processes are going to continue no matter what we've done, no matter what we've accomplished, no matter what we've acquired, the earth doesn't care about your big house. You work your whole life, get a mansion on a beach, and Hurricane Annette comes by, and no more house. What did you work for? You know? Um, our eternity has an entirely different kind of longevity. If we're not working to figure out where we're going for eternity and to please the guy who's going to determine that, we're, we're really going down a road of vanity, of non-satisfaction, you know. Uh, and as humans, we are always seeking to be satisfied, to reach more, to, to accomplish more, to acquire more. And they and them and we and us are never satisfied and we are never content. Verse 8 in the New Living Translation says it a little differently. It says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we wear here, here, we are not content. I just want to say, I have a larger font this time, so this is a lot easier. If you guys remember last time, we are never content. We kill ourselves to build these lives that we think that we have to have, and all of it's meaningless. We... we, we lose family time. We can compromise who we are. We compromise our relationship with the Lord. We stop going to church to work that overtime on Sunday. And sometimes it's a necessity. I'm, I'm not trying to say that it's wrong to work overtime or to, to get nice things or acquire nice things. But the important point is to not let it be your, your, your driving factor in life. To not let it be your main purpose is to to get a bigger house or to get a nicer car or anything like that. We, we compromise our relationship with the Lord oftentimes, and we're left, all we're left with is our spoils. You know, you, you, you missed seven baseball games this summer because you were working every day to try and buy a new car to go back to work and miss time with your family again or something like this, and we're left empty. And some of these people who acquire so much and they are so empty still. They don't have the Lord. They don't have the joy. They don't have the peace or the contentment. And when the stock markets crash and their millions are tied up in that and that's gone, they kill themselves a lot of the time. They don't know what to do without their worldly um, possessions, their worldly treasures that they've stored up. And again, I'm not saying that success or anything like that is bad or ungodly, but we need to keep in perspective where that all comes from. If we are blessed with these things, who gave it to us and what we're actually working for. Verse 9, he says, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. The only things that persist forever 
that we can perceive are the earth, the word of God, God's promises and his truths to us, and our souls. Our souls, like I said, are going to end up somewhere. Regardless of everything else, we need to make sure that we know where we're going and that we're going to the right place and that we're living the life that the Lord wants us to live. And even the earth's going to be destroyed one day by the word of God, which is the real eternal abiding entity. Um, But our souls are going to last forever, so I, I think it best to prioritize where we are devoting our time and our energy and our faith, how easy it is to put our faith in things outside of the Lord, to put faith on our wallet, on our our career, on our relationship. In verse 12, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. God gave us this drive to succeed, to learn, to work, and more, more, more to benefit him. We can put our energy into furthering the kingdom, into worshiping the Lord, into being better people, trying to be more Christ-like people, to then radiate that love and Christ to others, not to put all that energy and focus into worldly things, not to benefit ourselves. Aside from God's will for us, we will always be unfulfilled eventually. You always need a bigger car or a nicer car. I mean, a bigger house. Verse 14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. Outside of the grace of Jesus, nothing can be made perfect. Nothing. Our, our labors to save the world outside of Christ, everything is, we may solve one problem, and there's always going to be another problem around the corner. The only thing that we can do for a lasting fix is to try and share Jesus and try and put that love into other people's hearts. No one besides Jesus can save this world, and any effort on our part to fill that void is grasping for the wind. Have you ever tried to grasp for the wind? It is futile. That is another translation for vain. You cannot do it. You can work and work and try and catch the wind, and that is never going to happen just like working and working and working to try and satisfy your flesh is never going to happen outside of the lord we cannot have everlasting joy solomon moves on in verse 16 he says i communed with my heart saying look i have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who have been before me in israel my heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I found myself having to edit this a lot because I kept saying they, and 
you and I had to change a lot of stuff to we or me um, this is something that I used to really 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 struggle with you know um, for in much wisdom is grief and he who increases knowledge increases sorrows that's the epitome of ignorance is bliss I mean we can go to universities we can sit and read things and just try and learn all this stuff but at a certain point some of the stuff we're learning some of the stuff we're filling our heads with that aren't of the Lord and aren't of bettering the, ourselves to be like him or to further the kingdom it's we, we learn things that burden us I would sit around and look we're talking about the Illuminati I I would sit around and look up conspiracy theories for hours in my past life and I would learn things and I still think some of them are probably true about things that you know High, higher um, higher powers in countries and things like that are doing to their people. Things that I can't control. Things that I can't do anything about. Things that they do here in America that affect us negatively that I can't do anything about. What am, what am I going to do about wiretapping or GMOs or any of that stuff? I can't do anything about that. And I would learn this stuff and I would fill my head with this stuff and it only burdened me. It was grief. It was much grief. Just like he says... And I, I got to say now, it's like ever since I started trying to learn the Bible and learn what the Lord wants for my life and asking for the Lord's will, when I do find myself kind of jumping back into some of those political things or these worldly things and like learning these things, it just reminds me again how burdensome it is. Ignorance really is bliss sometimes, and not that we should be ignorant, but just we, we can't spend our entire lives trying to learn these things that aren't going to be of any benefit to us, to our salvation, to the Lord, to the people around us. We can't share the gospel while telling everyone how horrible the president is or something. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just things that are vanity. To quote Solomon, vanities of vanities. It is vanity. It is to no avail. In verse 1, of chapter 2 he says I said in my heart come now I will test you with mirth which is amusement um, I will test you with amusement therefore enjoy pleasure but surely this was also vanity I said of laughter madness and of mirth what does it accomplish no long-term joy comes from satisfying your flesh I know that firsthand anyone here who knows anything about me knows that I used to be a drug addict and a drunk and that is all that I tried to do was indulge in pleasures and satisfy my flesh and it took me to the lowest most depressed horrible state that I've ever been in and the furthest from God that I have ever been in my entire life and I think of most of and I guess all these things that he's going to touch on have the capacity to take you to that ultimate lowness but that's where I experienced my ultimate low lowness was trying to indulge in pleasures trying to fulfill that hole in my life with pleasure it gets us nowhere and it's a huge burden on this world and this country and this town right now and um just while we're talking about it i encourage you guys to keep all that in prayer um and keep the people who are suffering from that in prayer and direct them to a church if you know them direct them here direct them to broken chains um, pray with them and encourage them to get to know the lord 
In verse 3, he moves on. I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. He was trying to figure out the meaning of life, our purpose, outside of God. The way that I read this, he searched his heart how to gratify the flesh with wine while guiding his heart with wisdom to lay hold of folly, see what's good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. He was trying to figure out what we're supposed to do while we're here on earth, what our ultimate purpose is, what our plan is, what we're supposed to be doing, and he could not figure it out because he was looking outside of the Lord and it drove him to drink. That's the way that I read that. He had to satisfy, gratify is the word, his flesh with wine while thinking about these things, while trying to figure these things out outside of the Lord. What purpose do we have outside of the Lord? What, what purpose is there? There's a thing called secular humanism where we provide our own purpose in life. And what, is that, what does that achieve? What does that accomplish? That's where we end up with this book, Ecclesiastes, not the Bible. We, that's why Solomon wrote this. He was trying to fulfill his purpose outside of the Lord, and he did it by every means that man can do it, and he was never satisfied by it. He couldn't handle the lack of purpose in our toilings under heaven, and it led him to drink. And then he tries it with possessions. Verse 4, I made my works great. I built my houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards. I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants. I had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There is no profit under the sun. He was rewarding himself because he had accomplished so much. He was buying all these things. He had this lavish lifestyle, and it, it got him nothing. He felt no joy from these things. We work so hard. Uh, we start young. Get a career. Go to college. There's nothing wrong with college or careers. I'm going, I'm going somewhere. Just follow with me. Get a career. Go to college so you can afford the biggest, the best house, the cars, the TVs, the gadgets, the widgets, the thingamabobs. And when we do this and we're, we're not working for the Lord, that's all we have is our careers, our relationships, our homes, these things. These things we work for, if we're not working for the Lord, that's all we have. What happens when they go away? What happens when the company flops? What happens when someone you love who your, your relationship may be taking away from your focus on the Lord, what if they pass? 
and they're not here anymore, and that they were where you were finding your joy. What happens when your car explodes and you worked for five years to save up and buy and restore a car and then you don't have it. It's just what happens when these things go away, when these things pass? All things are temporary except for our souls, our eternity, the Lord. That is what matters. That is where our focus needs to be devoted. If these other things happen to be given to us as a blessing from the Lord for our works and our labors, then praise God. But we shouldn't live our lives for these things. Verse 8, he says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of the provinces. Sometimes we get so consumed with trying to get things or trying to accomplish things or trying to attain a certain level of status that we do things that we would never do. This is another thing that I experienced with my addiction doing things I never thought I would do to try and attain things to satisfy the pleasure and live in the flesh. In this instance, he gathered silver and gold from kings and provinces. How do you think that happened? Do you think these other kings and provinces just gave it to him? He was killing people. He was involved in war, and Israel was always involved in war. Some of these wars might have been righteous wars. The Lord would sometimes instruct some of these wars on certain nations. So I can't say that every single one was a greedy, um, domineering attempt, but when you take spoils like that from kings and queens, it involves war and violence and death. And we, we do these things. We hurt people sometimes when we're trying to acquire things that aren't of the Lord, when we're trying to satisfy our flesh, our earthly desires, our desire for more, our desire to please people of the earth, to reach some level of vanity. He's still not satisfied. John 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well, if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. He's talking about physical water earthly things, flesh, things that we want to fill our spirit with or what he wants to give us. We will never thirst again if we accept the gift that he wants to give us. Otherwise, we're going to be left wanting. We're going to be empty because there is no profit under the sun. He comes back and he talks about knowledge again in verse 12. Then I turn myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom, then I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity, for there is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. You know, it says the wise man's not any more remembered than the fool, but sometimes fools are remembered. I mean, those sports blooper tapes are going to be around for a while. Um, but, 
with intellectualism and the striving for knowledge, and again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be smarter and educate yourself, but when, when intelligence and knowledge of worldly things becomes our life's purpose, unless we're called, unless the Lord's calling you somewhere that involves learning all these things, if, if that is your purpose in life, then it's, in my opinion, it's, it's sin. It's, it's pulling you from the Lord. Um, and a lot of times I've witnessed it come with a superiority complex. And those who haven't attained this superior level of higher education and, well, I've only got one doctorate, so he's got three, so I'm just not that, I'm not as good as him, so I need to focus all my energy on getting to be as smart as him or acquire the words that he's acquired or find the accomplishments that he's accomplished or invent something better than him or vice versa. These people look down, maybe. He's only got one doctorate, so I'm, a, I'm more doctory than he is. And This mental gain, when it's, when it's used for anything outside of the Lord, when it's your driving factor, your, your purpose in life, and again, it's not bad. I, I want to over, I, I overemphasize that these things are not bad in and of themselves. He is kind of pushing it hard in this, and there's a very valid point to be made with what he's saying, but I feel the need to tell you guys I don't think it's bad if you're smart. <laughs> but mental gain fades away just the same as material gain. It's earthly. It's left behind at death. All the things that we learn about the world, what are they going to benefit us in heaven, in eternity, while we're praising the Lord? All, the, all this stuff that, that we spend our, dedicate our lives and push everything else to the wayside for, what is that going to benefit us in eternity? We can spend our entire lives trying to figure out what our purpose is maybe where we came from, if you're not looking here, if you don't believe this, you, you, they, they still are trying to figure out where life came from in the scientific community. People spend their entire lives. Scientists are devoted, not only to proving what they think maybe created life, but also to disproving this. And they strive their whole life, and then they pass away. This happened recently with a very renowned scientist. Everything he accomplished for the most part, is still theory. And he worked his whole life. And now he's in eternity. And he had to look Jesus in the face and be held accountable for where he focused his devotion. Um, to me, the knowledge of eternity is kind of a big deal. I, I have always found it interesting like the viewpoint of an agnostic, like atheists are set in an ideal. They, an ideal. They, they know what they believe. That's still kind of a never-ending search, though, because like I said, a lot of that stuff, the evolution and things, it's still all theory. It's, it's something that they're always going to be wondering, what's the purpose for life? The secular humanism, we're defining our own purpose. We're doing these things. But agnostics, you know, maybe, maybe there's a God, maybe there's something, I don't know. I'll find out later. Like, if you think there's a guy who's going to tell you where you're going in eternity, you should probably try and figure out 
who he is and try and get to know him and get on his good side. I mean, I, I always thought that that was a little more frivolous even than, you know, than atheism, in my opinion. But um, we have the opportunity to learn what it's all about, to learn our purpose, to learn why we're here, to learn what the Lord wants to do with us. We have the chance to commune and pray with him and ask him where he wants us specifically to go. And it's all here. We got it right here. We don't got to look very far. We're in America. There's millions and maybe billions of copies laying around this country. Go pick one up if you haven't and start trying to figure out what you're called to do and do it. And I guarantee you're going to have a lot more joy. Maybe not happiness all the time. Life still has its ups and its downs, but you're going to have joy knowing that what you're doing is for the right purpose, for the eternal purpose, for the Lord. Otherwise, you're going to end up like Solomon, pursued wealth, pleasure, material, knowledge, and none of it satisfied him. He was left empty. He hated life. He says here in verse 17, Therefore, I hated life, because the work that was done under the sun was distressing me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over my labor in which I toiled, in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and despaired all of the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, Yet he must leave his heritage to a man has not, who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has a man for all his labor, for the striving of his heart, with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Some people, the thing that drives us that our purpose is to leave a legacy, to not just to have material things for ourselves or to get some status, but to leave a legacy. Some people want to leave this mark, this thing behind, and sometimes it's something small, a family-owned restaurant you, or, or, or any business that you maybe you built from the ground up. You struggled, you worked with your hands, you built the business up, you went through the poor months you made it successfully and then when you pass away you got to give the business off to your son who was only around for the success only knows the success didn't have to work doesn't understand what it takes doesn't understand what the workers have to go through and that is a very common tale and then you see it fall apart you don't know if what you're leaving your legacy to if this person's wise or a fool and what happens if they're a fool? Everything you worked for, it's gone. You're gone. It's gone. It all fell apart. What did you work for? What, what did all that energy and time accomplish now? When you're gone and you're in eternity, who knows where? Hopefully you're with the Lord. But what's left? Vanity emptiness. There's nothing. We need to focus on the Lord's work. When we have work like this, not all of us are called to teach or to 
work at a church or to share. Some of us are called to be in certain places at certain times in certain businesses and to have certain jobs. And some of us are called to have certain levels of success. And we're put in these places by God to be able to minister to the people around us and to do the Lord's work no matter where we're at. So if we're doing any number of things, we need to be doing it unto the Lord. If you are rich and you do have a big house, I'm not knocking you, but make sure you are doing it to the Lord and you're using what you have been blessed with to help benefit the kingdom and the Lord and to do the Lord's work and make sure you're not straying from the Lord. Make sure that you are still committed to your purpose, to your call from the Lord. Satisfaction and contentment will be found if you know that what you are striving for and working for is eternal and not temporal. I keep saying you guys, uh, you again, we, what we strive for and work for. In verse 24, it says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Pretty much what he's saying here, he's kind of wrapping it up a little bit. Uh, there's a lot in the, the following chapters, and then he has the end chapter, which is the conclusion, which I hope to get to next time I teach. I, I'll probably breeze over some of the other points, but he's saying here, nothing is better than contentment and appreciation for what the Lord has given you. He says, what is better for a man to eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor? This I saw from the hand of God. What the Lord has given you to do, what the Lord has blessed you with, be content. The Lord's got you in a place. If you're following him, he's going to take care of you. The, these other things aren't important. Wisdom, knowledge, and joy are all God-given. If, if we seek, in this verse, I always get super annoyed when it's misquoted. If we seek, we ask, we shall receive. That's talking about wisdom, knowledge, joy in the Lord. We want to know the things of the Lord. We want to know his will for us. We'll receive that. We have to ask. We have to want it. We have to pursue it. We have to strive for that. Not for these other things. Not these worldly things. There's nothing wrong with knowledge and wealth, but focus these blessings to further the kingdom. I already said this, and I didn't even read it yet. Do not pursue success in vain. Pursue the Lord's will in your life. He will provide, or he'll determine the level of your success that you need to have to fulfill his will. Satisfaction is of the Lord. Permanent satisfaction, joy, everlasting joy only comes from the Lord. As believers, we have the opportunity to obtain this contentment, this joy, by serving the Lord with all of our being, by devoting ourselves, by pursuing his will in our lives, not pursuing the things of the world, knowing that if we are right with the Lord, if we believe in Jesus Christ the Son, and we're striving to be like him, 
to carry out his will on this earth with love, that we have accomplished our purpose. And maybe one day, when we die and we get to heaven, you should know if you're going to heaven or not, we will get to hear the Lord tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. And our labors under the sun would not have been in vain. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your will here on this earth. Uh, we thank you for the many blessings, the many opportunities that we have to just commune with you and to just, just do what you would have us do, Lord, and to, to find the joy in that and know that when, when we're doing your will, even if things seem bad or dark or gray, that there's, there's an ultimate purpose for it, Lord. We don't have to be in despair if things aren't quite going our way because we know in the end your hand is there, you're in play. There's something different going on than what we think is going on. And we, we're able to have that joy, Lord, just knowing that you're working in our lives and you're working in the world around us and that, that everything that is good is from you, Lord. And I, I just thank you so much. And I, I just ask that throughout the rest of this week and the rest of our lives, really, that we're, we're able to maintain our perspective on what's important, Lord, and what you would have us do. And if you bless us with with success, and you bless us with money, Lord, and you bless us with the things that you bless Solomon with, Lord. I just pray that that we not let that blind us from your ultimate purpose for us like it did Solomon, Lord. I just pray for, for myself and for everyone else that the, the, the wisdom that you instill in us would, would keep us true and keep us right, and just that we would always strive for you, Lord. And I just ask all this in your name. Amen.